Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today will be taken from the reading in St. Matthew's Gospel. Uh, Let's begin with the word of prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the wonderful gift of prayer where you bid us to come to you with our our requests and petitions and promise, Lord, uh, to answer them. Lord, we confess that there are times where it does not feel like you are listening to us, where it seems as though you are silent. It's in these moments, O Lord, we beg you to help us cling to your word and to hear our prayers and answer them. And now, O Lord, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. There are a number of accounts that I really struggle with when I read through the Gospels and the records of Jesus' ministry. Uh, for one reason or another, they just don't make a lot of sense to me. There's, there's phrases that are confusing or things Jesus says that I can't really wrap my head around. Or like there's the account we have today where I see the words and the actions of Jesus and I just find them to be a bit troublesome. I mean, this story of Jesus and this Canaanite woman who comes requesting blessings from him, comes to him requesting a miracle, it troubles me. And it troubles me for a number of reasons. It troubles me, one, because the way Jesus treats her, at least initially, is very hard for me to understand. And two, it troubles me because it seems to me that it hits a little too close to home. The encounter this woman has with Jesus feels a little too real. It's very true to life. Let me explain to you what I mean. To understand this, we need to set it in its context a little bit here. Jesus has been out preaching among the Pharisees, preaching among uh, the Jewish people, the people who should be expecting him, the people who have uh, trusted the Old Testament and have waited for the Messiah to come. He's been talking to the Jewish religious leaders only to find that they doubt him and they don't believe in him. And he's shown them very clearly uh, that sin in this world doesn't come from uh, just sort of missing a few rituals here or there or by eating the wrong kinds of food. He's shown them that sin and impurity come from the heart. And he's told them that their sin comes from their heart. And their faithlessness and their unbelief has made them impure. And they don't like that. That, that makes them kind of angry. So Jesus needs to get away from them for a while because though they are angry with him, it's not yet time for him to die. So he is retreating to hide for a little bit in a place called Tyre and Sidon. Now, if you know anything about Tyre and Sidon from the Old Testament, you will know that these are not God's favorite places in the Old Testament. They're filled with Gentile people who have attacked and caused harm to his beloved Israel throughout the Old Testament. So there are any number of scriptures wherein God promises to pour his wrath out on Tyre and Sidon. He has promised uh, to punish them. And yet this is where Jesus goes to hide because he knows no Jews are going to go to a place where God has promised punishment. And now we find Jesus approached by a woman from that region, a Canaanite woman who has a demon-possessed daughter. Now again, to understand the full gravity of this encounter, you need to understand uh, the way the Jewish people thought about Gentiles and women in those days. It, It was believed that the Gentiles, by virtue of their birth, were not to be a part of the people of God. Just by virtue of where they were born and who they were, they were considered to be impure, especially the people from Tyre and Sidon, especially the Canaanites. These were a very impure people. What's more, uh, the person who approaches him is a woman, and women were seen in that culture to be second-class citizens. 
And so she's a Gentile woman. What's more, she has a demon-possessed daughter, which means she doesn't have a lot of company coming over to her house on the weekends. For her, everything is working against her. But nonetheless, she hears that Jesus is coming to town, and she has heard of this Jesus. She's heard rumors that he is a miracle worker. She's heard rumors that this is, in fact, the son of David, Israel's promised Messiah, who's come to save Israel and bless the world. And based on her address to Jesus, it seems that she actually believes in him. She has faith in Jesus, that he is the promised Savior, the Messiah. And she believes that because of this, he can only do good for her. She believes that he will bless her. So she comes to Jesus knowing her situation, knowing that she brings nothing. She comes simply as a beggar in faith, which is, by the way, uh, the way we all approach Jesus. She comes with nothing, but she comes pleading for his help. She comes because she believes he will help her despite what we might call her pedigree. Now, this is all well and good, and this isn't all too surprising, and until we see the way Jesus responds to her. And here's where the thing starts to get a little bit strange. Because if you've been following Jesus through his ministry, and if you've watched the way he works, when, when people like this Canaanite woman come to him uh, for help, they generally get the help that they're looking for. They expect Jesus to do good for them, and that's what they get. That's what we expect Jesus to do for her when she approaches him, isn't it? And in fact, this is what we expect Jesus to do for many people. That's why when we tell people about Christ, when they're at the end of their rope, they're full of guilt and they're full of shame and uncertainty, we send them to Christ. Why? Because he forgives. He loves. He shows grace and mercy and he guides us with his word. So when people have nothing left, we send them to Jesus. And so she comes to Jesus for all the right reasons. She believes he's a gracious Lord who looks on the downtrodden. We love those verses where Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners. So what are we expecting Jesus to do for this sinner? To show her mercy. To love her. To give her grace. Here comes a sinner. Jesus is going to help her. Right? Right. So? She cries out in faith, trusting these promises. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. And and now here's where it gets weird. Uh, The text says, Jesus did not answer a word. Now, Now, that's strange. We like to assume when we pray, when we approach God, that he's paying attention. That he's listening, right? Jesus says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. But here there's no deliverance. There's not even an answer from Jesus. She is in agony. She isn't praying even for herself, but for her daughter. And Jesus is totally callous. He ignores her. This is strange and quite frankly, it's terrifying. Because this is a real cry of faith. In a, with a real need. I mean, she needs deliverance from the devil. The devil is attacking her daughter. And Jesus doesn't even seem to care. And this initial silence from Jesus is utterly troubling. There's nothing really more terrifying for us than the silence of God. And you know that silence. Don't, maybe not, but I think many of us do 
We, we know what it means to be at the end of our rope, to be crying out for mercy, to be praying for God to do something, to provide something, to show up in some way, and God says nothing. What do you do with that silence? How do we respond to the silence of God? For many, this is enough cause for them to turn away. I know a number of people who have received silence, they believe, from God, And have said, God didn't answer my prayers, and they have lost their faith. How do you respond? What's remarkable about this account is the way this woman responds. She's not going to let the silence win. She's not going to let the silence remain. Her faith is far too strong for that. She knows who she is dealing with here. She knows the promises and what this Jesus is supposed to do. So she's not going to back down. She will not let go of Jesus. So she keeps following, and she keeps kind of harping on Jesus here, keeps trying to beg him to heal her daughter, and the disciples themselves are exhausted of it. So they turn, uh, they turn to Jesus, and they say, uh, dude, I mean, maybe they don't call him dude, but maybe, Lord, look, just heal the kid. She's driving us nuts. Send her away. Now, their hearts might not be exactly in the right place, but they're going to the right person. They at least ask Jesus for help, and Jesus' answer, listen, guys, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Well, gee. Now she's got two things working against her. First, she has the silence of God. Now she has the rebuke of God. Now she has what we might call the no of God. Jesus is saying, here's how it works, guys. She's just not in my plan right now. If you know how this goes, it says Jesus, uh, I come first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. The Jews are the people God has chosen. He's brought me forth for them. To them belong the promises. To them belong the prophets and, and the fathers. And they have all these words coming to them. And I've come to fulfill my word for them. Now, later on, we'll go to the Gentiles. And if she's still really bothered here after I ascend, she can certainly look you guys up and you can help her. But right now, my mission is to the Jews, to the lost sheep of Israel. She's not in the plans right now. Now can you just just try to grasp this if you're this woman? This woman is now not dealing with the terrifying silence, but the oppressive no. I mean, even Jesus seems to be against her. He spoke and it got worse. I mean, there could be no harder place to be for a Christian. It's one thing to be assaulted by the devil. It's another thing to be oppressed by the world. And it's an even another thing to feel self-loathing and guilt that comes from sin and from shame. But to be turned away by Jesus himself, even on good theological grounds, who could stand under that? I hope you see my struggle with this story. I would venture to guess if you're still watching the sermon right now and you're still awake, you're kind of struggling a little bit with this story too. And like I said, at this point, when when people are dealing with God in this way, many would simply give up. They would walk away. They would turn to someone else for help. But not this woman. She will not let go of Jesus. She she has Jesus' promises and she not going to let him off of the hook, at least not that quickly. Apparently, she continues to follow after them, even after Jesus has not said anything, and now he said something somewhat upsetting. And now Jesus sits down, and as he sits down, she falls in front of him like she's worshiping him. She prostrates herself before him, and she starts throwing her prayers right up in his face. 
And she says, Lord, help me. And now we would say, Jesus cannot turn her away, right? I mean, now he's got to help her. She's not going anywhere. She's all up in his grill. Like, she's not leaving him alone. Of course he's going to send her away with a blessing. But instead, no. Jesus only makes matters worse. He insults her. He says, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Are you kidding me? I mean, can't you just picture, I mean, this is what I think happens here. I just picture her standing up and being like, uh-uh, no, you did not just say that to me. I cannot believe those words came out of your mouth, right? Like, that's exactly what I would expect to see happen at this point. I mean, this has to be the last straw. He's ignored her, he's denied her, and now he refers to her as a dog. Now, you need to understand uh, that this term, the derogatory term that the Jews would use towards the Gentiles in Jesus' day, they would refer to the Gentiles as Gentile dogs because dogs were seen as sort of unclean, impure animals. So this is sort of the thing Jesus is saying to her. And what would we do with this? Tell you what we would do with this. We would not just walk away. We would take to Twitter, right? We would expose this. We would play that clip of Jesus saying that over and over and over again. We would give Jesus a bad review on Messiah Yelp. We would raise a ruckus of moral outrage, and then we would cancel Jesus. We'd have nothing more to do with him when he says something like this. But she won't let go of him. She won't back off of Jesus. And what's remarkable is her response here. Jesus says, it's not right to take the children's bread. That is, it's not right to do the work I'm doing among the Jews who I've been sent to and to do that work now among the Gentiles. And she says, you're right. I agree. Yes, Lord. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She says, Don't pretend you're not good with me. (laughs) She says, look, I'm not asking for a seat at the table. I Sure, I'm a lowly Gentile dog, fine. But I know who I am in my situation. But Jesus says, Jesus, I also know who you are too. You're the son of David. You're Israel's Messiah. And those Israelite children who sit at your table, let them grow fat and happy for all I care. And in fact, I'll rejoice with them. But I also know this. That if you've come to bless your people of Israel, it's going to be a blessing for the rest of us in this world. And so if those kids are eating at the table, their scraps are going to fall and a dog like me is going to eat like a queen. I don't need notoriety. I don't need a seat at the table, she says. But I need freedom from the devil. I need your blessing. I need your mercy. I need your grace. I need the crumbs. And even in the face of Jesus' opposition against the no, She will not let go of Christ, and she will not let him be anything to her but gracious. And this is the amazing mystery of faith. No matter the circumstances, when everything seems to be against us, even when God himself seems to be giving us a heartless no, faith clings all the more tightly to the promises of Jesus Christ. It will not let God be anything but gracious. And right when the devil and the world and all of our friends would tell us to stop and move on and trust something else, right when it seems as if we've exhausted God with our cries and our prayers, Jesus smiles. Jesus looks upon her faith and says, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. 
her daughter was healed from that very hour. You see, Jesus finds that this is no Gentile dog. This is a child of God, a member of his kingdom. And Jesus smiles. He cannot hold back. It's like he's been pushing her off, pushing her off. He's like, I can't do this anymore. Of course I'm going to bless you. Of course I'm going to do this. Because that's what Jesus does. She trusted Jesus to be gracious to her, a sinner, a savior of sinners. And that's who he proves to be. And she was right. Martin Luther, in one of his most marvelous lines that I can think of, says this about the woman and how she handles Jesus. He says, she thus catches Jesus Christ with his own word. And and Jesus is happy to be caught. She says, you are the son of David. You are my Lord. She says, you are my only hope. And this son of David, this Lord, who has to hide among unbelieving pagans to escape from the wrath of his own people, is thrilled to find faith in the most unexpected place in this woman. This Gentile mother of a demon-possessed child clings more tightly to Jesus than his own people do. And he loves her for it. Jesus always is smiling at faith. And she is a marvelous example to you and to me who wrestle with God in faith, who agonize in prayer as we look for hope in this world where everything seems to be working against us, where our hope is constantly under attack and we pray and we pray and we start to lose heart, we come to this account and we're reminded of this woman's persistence in prayer and the gracious God she has in Jesus Christ. When we cry out, Lord, have mercy, we sometimes feel as though we must be persistent in this prayer and sometimes we must be persistent in this prayer. But he will. He can't help himself. And faith knows this. That is why Faith constantly puts God's promises back into his own ears. Faith is that position before Jesus where we have nothing but Jesus and we won't let go of him until he stays true to his word. And here's the good news about Jesus Christ. He is happy to do it. He is happy to be caught. So persist in your prayer despite all the world. Catch Jesus in his word. For he is happy to be caught by you and for you. Amen. Let's pray. We give you thanks, Lord Jesus, for your faithfulness to answering our prayers. We thank you, Jesus, that in baptism you have made us a child of your Father and that even we are smiled upon by you and your grace. Lord, there are times where we are tempted to lose heart in our prayers. There are times where we are tempted to think that you are ignoring us or saying no to us or want nothing to do with us. For us, O Lord, these are agonizing and terrifying times. And yet your grace remains the same. So Lord, help us to learn from this dear woman uh, to be persistent in prayer and to trust in you, our Lord.